All right. So I have never been called upon to speak gospel on an Easter Sunday quite like this. I know that every single person who is on this call is hurting big time in one way or another, and rightfully so. And this is so weird because Easter Sunday does not usually have that feel to it. People usually bound into church on Easter Sunday. The tomb is empty. The gospel's been secured. Christ is risen. This day is usually C major chords all around. I never see the band more stoked than on Easter Sunday morning. All of our kids are hepped up on chocolate bunny candy by 10 a.m. Everyone has gotten out the cheeriest outfit in their closets, bow ties, pastels. We had a guy show up one time in a white suit have seen ladies at our Easter Sunday service is typically church on Red Bull or church on its fourth cup of coffee. Let's go. Today is totally different. Across the globe, actually, not just us. Everyone comes into this Easter with a heavy heart. The list of sorrows that the coronavirus has triggered in us is so long and so weighty. Have you ever been outside in the pouring rain in a hoodie? And I don't mean a thin hoodie, I mean one of those thick hooded sweatshirts. And you're out there for 45 minutes just getting soaked. And that sweatshirt suddenly feels like it weighs 60 pounds. It's pulling your shoulders down. You're trying to take that thing off and you're like, I am never going to get this sweatshirt off. This thing is going to weigh me down for the next two hours. That is us right now. People are literally dying from this virus. They just cannot continue to breathe. It's attacked their respiratory system so aggressively. Other people are going to recover, but the suffering is awful. Suzanne works on the COVID floor at MGH Hospital, and she was telling us on Thursday night, one of her patients could not even sit up from bed and walk to the bathroom without getting oxygen, suffering. I re- well, we have been socially distanced from each other and all relational intimacy and physical touch. It's been removed. I ran some candy by some Seven Mile Road houses on Friday. I stood 10 feet away. I kicked on the door, and I just started throwing candy at kids. You should have seen these dads' faces. They were like, it's so good to see you. I've been in this house with these kids for days. I forgot what another human who didn't have my DNA looks like. The losses and the sorrows in this season are intense. Trips canceled. Graduations virtualized. Weddings stolen. Sports seasons postponed. Those are all real sorrows. We feel them with you. It's not just the sorrows, it's also the fears. These are the questions we are asking. 
will someone who I love deeply contract this virus? And if they do, will they recover? Will I lose my job? And if I do, how long will it take for me to get another one? Will all of these government controls that are being put in place for good reason have a shelf life and handicapped our ability to enjoy our freedom or to advance the gospel? We are scared. We feel that. And it's not just sorrow and fear, it's confusion. Has anyone else felt this? Who do I believe? Which stats are accurate? Which analysis is sound? My Twitter timeline is schizophrenic. The one tweet will say, we never should have shut these schools down. We need to build a herd immunity among the young people. Then the very next one will say, we shouldn't have school or church or sports until fall of 2021. And they just go back and forth like that. Everybody's confused. Everybody feels like I'm in a tunnel and I'm struggling to find some light. Okay, I need you to feel something with me. This is exactly how the first Easter Sunday started out. Exactly. Jesus had been murdered in plain sight of everyone who had loved him and had hoped in him. And then in this terrible rush, before the sun could set on the Sabbath, his body was yanked off the cross. It was quickly wrapped in these linen burial cloths. And Jesus was laid in a tomb alone that got slammed shut. And then after that, for 24 hours, nobody moved. Everything was on lockdown. It was the worst stretch of their lives. Their eyes were bright red from the tears. Their hearts were worried, scared if they were next. And their heads were spinning, trying to make sense of what was going on. Do you feel this? Sorrow, fear, confusion. Sound familiar? That was the scene very early on Sunday morning. The Gospels are explicit about this. John shows us Mary weeping outside the tomb. Luke shows us the two disciples on the seven-month road looking sad. Matthew tells us that the women were terrified, afraid. Mark tells us that the disciples were so troubled and confused that they put themselves on lockdown. They didn't even need Governor Baker or Mayor Brodeur to tell them. They shut the doors and nobody was allowed in. They didn't even go onto the porch to grab an Amazon delivery. They huddled up. But then Jesus showed up and everything begins to change in the story. He steps into their sorrows with gospel. And he says, peace be with you. He steps into their fears with gospel. And he says, you don't have to be afraid. That's what he says to the women. He steps into their confusion with gospel. And on the seven mile road, he opens the scriptures. And he says, can't you see it? Didn't you know? This is no random tragedy. This was divine strategy. 
the Son of Man was always going to suffer before stepping into his glory. Okay, does everybody feel this? In their awful moment of deepest sorrow, fear, and confusion, Christ came to them with words of gospel. And this is what he intends to do today. All we've got for you as Jesus' church is the words and the promise and the gospel of Jesus. And my job on Easter morning is to help you see that is all that you need. All right, every Sunday morning at Seven Mile Road, we just work the words of Scripture, and we try to allow them to speak to you. In this season, we're working through the words from one of the 66 books in your Bible called Philippians. Now, I know if you're new to your Bible, that sounds really weird, like a gymnastics toddler class, the Philippians. What is this? But we call it Philippians just because... It was a letter that was written to Christians in this city of Philippi. We chose to work through these words during the coronavirus because it was written by Jesus' Apostle Paul when he was on lockdown. He was on house arrest for preaching the gospel. He was forced to social distance. He was kept from all of his regular rhythms. He was not sure what the timetable was for his return. That's us right now. And so we've been asking, how can what the Spirit was doing in him help us approach this season together? The book has been a wicked shocker all the way down for us, a great surprise. We were expecting him to be troubled, but instead, he's content. We thought he was be like, I'm losing it. But instead, over and over again, he's telling us, I'm good. We thought he would be depressed and down, but he's not. He's hopeful and optimistic. We thought he would be paralyzed, but he's not. He's super busy evangelizing the guards, writing letters. The book has been such a beautiful encouragement to us in all those ways. Today we come to a bumper sticker Bible verse. I don't know what that is. That is a short, sweet, strong verse of scripture that fits very neatly on a t-shirt. But this was no shallow platitude. This is a verse that actually, if it becomes true in a soul, it changes everything. Here it is. Put it on the screen. To live is Christ and to die is gain. All right, before we hit the words of scripture, I have a question for everybody who's listening. If I was to walk down into the basement of your life and we were going to pull up some floorboards and grab a shovel and start digging until we hit foundation, until we hit the thing that everything in your life is built on and everything in your life springs from, what would it be? It's one of the most important questions that we can ask. This life that I am living, who or what is the big why at the bottom of it? Is it a lover, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a beau? We've got a million of those songs, right? Brian Adams, everything I do, I do it for you. 
the Bee Gees, here in your arms, I found my paradise, my only chance for happiness. Skyla Gray, sing a song because I worship the ground you walk on. Baby, I'd kill for you. Whoa. Is it your children? For a ton of folks, that's actually the honest answer. Everything in my life is built on and springs from who my children are and what they will become. For some of us, it's not our children at all. I was watching a 30-30 documentary on Ric Flair. Yes, the lockdown has me watching TV. That's how bad this got. And he's talking about his wrestling career. And it was so sad because he looks into the camera and he goes, oh, I was a terrible father. Fame was much more important to me. In other words, you dig to the bottom of Ric Flair's life and it was fame driving everything. It could be a cause, it could be an activity. I got a t-shirt in my closet that says basketball is life. You could fill in the blanks with a thousand other answers. What is the problem with all of them? None of them are worth building a life on. They're all fragile, they're all uncertain, they're all temporary. All of them can be taken from you. I'm 46, I still play basketball with the old guys down at the Y, and I've been thinking if this lockdown goes on much longer, I might never play again. I keep thinking I'm gonna do a spin move and just hear rip, and my Achilles or meniscus is gonna be gone, and that's it, basketball taken from me. All these pursuits are that way. But then God comes to us in the gospel, and he presses us with this glorious truth that there is a ground that a life can be built on that will hold. And that ground is God himself. All right, let's jump into the words together so you see it in the text. Remember, Paul is writing from a jail, and to our surprise, he's very, very bouncy and glad and rejoicing. He just finished telling us one of the things he was excited and joyful about, that he was on lockdown, but the gospel wasn't. He said, I really want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And then you can hear him pause and just laugh. He loved it. He got such a kick out of that. It made him so glad. Now he pivots to some other joys. And this is what he says. He says, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that. And he gives him three things he's glad about. One, this will turn out for my deliverance. Two, I will not be at all ashamed. And three, Christ will be honored in my body. All right, let's work these one at a time. Here we go. This will turn out for my deliverance. No, you can go back one. Yeah. Give me a Bostonian translation for number one. Do it. I'm getting out of this joint. I'm going to see the light of day again. No more sleeping on this ratty cot. I'm not going to die in this prison. Okay, we're not exactly sure how he knew this. Did he have some inside information from one of the guards? 
Did the Lord reveal it to him somehow? Did he just have a sense, you know, of how this thing was going to play out? Whatever it was, he says, you've been praying. Christ is with me by his spirit, and I'm getting out of here. All right, then number two, how was he going to secure this release? Had he been watching Escape from Alcatraz and Shawshank Redemption and Escape Plan 1, 2, and 3, did he have an inside man who was going to spring him out a window or a tunnel? Was he going to crawl to freedom through 500 yards of poop-smelling foulness that I could not imagine? No. This was not going to be a prison break. He was going to stand before a Roman tribunal. He was going to give a defense of the gospel, and he was not going to be ashamed of it. I don't know if you ever read the book Silence by Shushaka Endo about the ruthless persecution of Christians in Japan, but he wrote about how they would arrest the Christians, put them in prison, and torture them. And then they would pull them out for a minute and they would say, hey, here's how you can go free. And they would put an image of Christ on the ground and they would say, just step on his face and you can walk out the doors. In other words, their freedom required their being ashamed of Christ. It's awful. Well, Paul is glad because he knows that's not how this is going to go down. He was going to speak clearly and convincingly, and they were going to free him. And then number three, what gladdened him the most was not that he would be released per se, but that Christ would be honored in his release. Christ will be honored. Honored there means magnified, put a spotlight on, make something look big and worthwhile and awesome. So feel this. What thrilled Paul's soul the most was that he had been invited into making much of Christ in that jail. Whoa. The ground of Paul's joy was not so much his freedom, but Christ's fame. Okay, then he does something profound, and he invites you and me into something very deep. It is a, a mental soul struggle that he has been having as he's been in this jail cell with all the time in the world to process everything that's been going on. He's been asking himself the Hamlet question. You know what the Hamlet question is? Anybody else ever read Shakespeare in high school? And you like read an entire page and then you go, I don't have any idea what I just read. I mean, the words were English, but I don't understand any of it. All right, stick with it. We'll get there. The Hamlet question was this one. I know you've heard it before. To be or not to be, that is the question. Now, Shakespeare says it fancy, but the simple way to hear it is to live or to die. This is the question that Paul had been wrestling with on lockdown. Here's how he said it. He said, I am hard pressed between two desires. 
Number one is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But number two is to remain in the flesh, which is more necessary for you. All right, let's work these words. So this word hard-pressed is this word to mean two things are hemming you in or tugging on you from two different sides and you are unable to get past or free from either of them. Um, who's been shopping in the last month or so? Has anybody risked their life and gone out there to do that? That's an adventure, isn't it? So last week, Grace and I went to BJ's, which is usually a joyous, fun exploration. And it was hands down the weirdest food shopping we have done since we were trying to buy lunch in Paris like 22 years ago. We are literally walking around BJ's with medical masks on and surgical gloves in BJ's. And everybody is glaring at me. They're like six feet away. Hey, six feet away. I ended up in the milk aisle and I was grabbing some unsweetened almond milk because Tom Brady told me to. He said I needed to drink that and frozen fruit for breakfast. No more Captain Crunch. No more French toast with maple syrup. No more Pop-Tarts with peanut butter and honey. Unsweetened almond milk. So I lean in and I pull it out. And when I come back to my carriage, there's somebody on my left and somebody on my right. And inside I was like, oh snap, this is it. I'm dead. Which one of these two has coronavirus? Jesus, which way do I go? That's this word right here, hemmed in, only instead of two bad options, it's two really good options. So maybe a better illustration. This is like when I was at Brady and Jess's wedding during the hors d'oeuvres hour. And uh, this guy comes out of the back with this plate and he says to me, sir, would you like a lobster macaroni and cheese ball or a bacon wrapped scallop? And I put my arm around him and I said, what's your name? He said, John. I said, John, I am hard pressed between two desires. Yes, please. How do you make that choice between lobster, macaroni and cheese and a bacon wrapped scallop? I'm stuck. That's the word right here. On the one hand, he is saying to himself, you know what would be really good right now? It would be so good if the Lord just took my life in this prison. Okay, this is not Paul being suicidal. He was not going to take his own life. It is just him reflecting on the exhaustion of his work and his calling. It was relentless in the weight and the suffering. This man's entire ministry was a 60-pound soaked hooded sweatshirt that he could not pull off. Says to himself, I'd be okay if I died but not because it would be an escape only or a step into a nebulous immortality. It was because he knew that for him to lose his life was to gain Christ. See how he said it? My desire is to depart and be with 
Christ, that would be way better for me. Remember Christ's words to the thief on the cross. They weren't only today you will be in paradise, but today you will be with me in paradise. And that's all the difference. Paul knows that him dying just means tighter union and fellowship with Christ. And he would have been good with that. Just let me be with Jesus. Uh, Grace and I have this conversation all the time. There's this event or this thing happening, and she'll say to me, hey, do you want to go to that? And my answer is, are you going? Because if you're going to be there, I'm in. I just want to be with you. So if you're going to go, let's go. But if you're not going to go, then probably not. And then she says to me, you are so weird. I'm not asking about me. I'm asking about this event. And then I say, you are so weird. Don't you understand that I married you because I love you and I want to be with you wherever that is. This is the heart of Paul's desire here. I I just want to be with Christ. I want to be with Christ. So I need you to feel the rawness and the beauty in this. He's actually find himself pausing before the Lord and saying, Lord, this is so hard. I cannot hold up. It would be okay with me if you let this be the end. Just let me finish my course so that I can be with you. Have you been there before? Last year, I had the gift to spend some time with Justin Moore before he went to be with Christ. I sat with him. Uh, Katie, you came with me into the city, and we were just there to love and gospel uh, Justin and his sister who was with him. And... Those were 30 of the sweetest and hardest both minutes of my year. I'm sitting with this man who has suffered. And you know what he did toward the end of that conversation? He looks me in the eyes and he goes, oh, no, no, Matt. I'm okay with dying. I'm ready to be with Christ. That would be much better than this. Every Christian gets that sentiment. This is the joy of Easter Sunday. There is no fear in death for the Christian. Only hope. Our sins are forgiven. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. Our future is with him and it is perfectly secure and it is super bright. When we depart this life, it is to be with Christ. Oh man, yes, please. Adoniram Judson, incredible missionary, he said these words, they're so beautiful. He said, oh, when Christ calls me home, I shall go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from his school. (laughs) I love that. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that would be way better for me. But then there's a second desire. Just as alive in Paul, just as compelling, just as hopeful, he would totally be good with this desire. Depart and be with Christ on one side, 
stay and be with you is on the other. So he says, there is a part of me that cannot wait to get out of this jail and keep living so that I can throw myself again into the work of the gospel for your sake, that you might thrive. So please feel this. Paul did not drag his feet through his life. He did not live with a death wish every day. The gospel life is not like that. No, no, no. Every day he woke up with this burning desire, ready to go. Who might Jesus have for me to love and serve and teach and gospel today? God is at work through the gospel for the glory of Christ in my city, in my home, in my neighborhood right now. And that is something worth living for. Let's go. Okay, so do you feel this? Unlike Hamlet, for whom both options were undesirable, if you read it, Hamlet didn't want to go on living, but he didn't want to risk dying. Uh-uh. Paul and every Christian says, to be or not to be, either way, I'm good. Paul then says it in the most succinct most powerful, most beautiful sentence, one of the most succinct and beautiful and powerful sentences in Scripture. He takes us by the hand. He walks us into the basement of his life. He pulls up some floorboards. He hands us a shovel, and he says, hey, dig, and I'll tell you what you're going to find at the bottom of my life. And this is what he says to me. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Please tell me that you can feel the power of the Christian gospel in these words. The gospel is worth living for, and the gospel is worth dying for. If I live, I'm good because it's for Christ, with the help of Christ, to the glory of Christ. If I die, I'm good because I get Christ. Here's all I want to ask you on Easter Sunday, 2020. This is it. Can you say these words? Can you say these words? Could we take your name and replace the me in here? To Katie, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To Allison, to live is Christ and to die would be gain. To Jane, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To Timmy, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To Chris and Josh and Matt and Julie and all the way down. To Seven Mile Road, either way, we're good. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. All right, maybe you are totally brand new to the gospel, and you're like, I want to think about this. You are in the right place to do that. We have built this church for you, that you would have a place to see what does it look like for someone 
to put at the bottom of their life, Christ. Or maybe you know that this is best already, and God is using this coronavirus to knock the legs out from the life that you have been living, to just tear up the garbage foundation that your life has been built on, and to invite you into something better and deeper and stronger. To live is Christ. To die would be gain. The gospel is big enough to live for and to die for. All right, let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would accomplish every purpose that you have in this lockdown season in us, every one. I pray that if any of us is building our lives on sand, that you would awake us to that fact and that you would lead us to the rock Christ Jesus. I pray that you would fill our church with men and women and children who are coming to say more boldly, more joyfully, more clearly, to me, to live is Christ, and to die would be gain. I pray that we would come out of this season with a confidence that we have never had in Christ and his gospel and a joy and an energy, and that you would be with us in that. Hear my prayer and answer, I pray. Amen. All right. Thanks for listening into that. Heather is going to unmute Josh, and he's going to sing for us, with us. Let's do that together.